Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good? Okay. Um, I just want to say I am overjoyed to be back home with my church family. I've been gone for a couple weeks, um, and it's just so good to be back worshiping with you all this morning. Uh, We are pressing pause this morning on our Romans study, uh, and I will be introducing our next little mini-series called Humbly Unified. Um, This year, the Devoted Follower series has been an in-depth study of the Book of Romans, uh, and we have been seeking to bring greater understanding to our mission statement at LCF, which is to build devoted followers of Jesus Christ who are gospel-centered, humbly unified, mission-driven, pursuing their own holiness and disciple-making. We have taken time already to um, break and do the little mini-series on mission-driven and pursuing holiness. Uh, This morning, we're going to start a three-week little mini-series on humbly unified, and then disciple-making will come uh, in the new year. And then, of course, uh, gospel-centered would be the Roman study which will continue throughout this year. Um, if, you want, if you've got a Bible, you can open it up to Hebrews 10. We'll get there in a few minutes. Uh, I feel like I need to set a few things up before we jump into our text this morning. Um, when we consider what, it, what is humbly unified, there really are two aspects to that. There a devoted follower of Christ who is humbly unified, it requires both effort on their personal level in their day-to-day life, but also includes corporate as a church. Um, to be the church body, you know, uh, humbly unified, just the thought of being humbly unified on a personal level really has been taught so well uh, over the course of the last month. Um, in Romans 12. If, if you missed any of the weeks in the last month, I can't encourage you enough to go to our website, download um, those messages from Tim and Joe, and listen to them. They are uh, great messages, just encouragements for you, but ultimately more, more, important, more important than any of it, they are vital proclamations of the Word of God for your life and uh, how you bring yourself to be humbly unified as a part of the church body. I want to focus our time this morning um, talking about the corporate aspect of being the church body. When we consider the body of Christ, the church, you know, we're not, we're not referencing a building. We're talking about his people. You and I, we are the body of Christ, the church. There is... No greater honor than to be a part of God's church. Amen? Do you believe that? There's no greater honor than to be a part of God's church. When we read the word of God, there unfolds this beautiful picture that we are, the church is, the bride of Christ. And that picture of marriage points to the intimacy, the value, and the importance that God puts on the church when we gather together. Regardless of whether you feel personally that it's an honor to be a part of God's church or not, 
I think one thing that we can recognize and need to be honest about is the Big C Church globally has not been too successful in terms of unity. We've kind of failed miserably at it. Uh, when you think of the Christian church, and there are some 33 to 41,000 different Christian denominations, it points to the fact that we struggle to find unity. That's a lot of years of disagreements and church splits. And I can only imagine how much that grieves the Lord. Unity within the big C church is a far more complex and difficult thing than we can cover in 35 minutes this morning. And so what I want to do is spend time talking about what it is to be humbly unified here at LCF. How we as a church can operate as though there's no greater honor than to be God's church. My goal today is to simply address what it is to be humbly unified here. You know, in general terms, uh, from Scripture, the mission and purpose of the local church is kind of threefold. It's to worship God, to edify, encourage, or build up the believers within the church, and it's to evangelize the world around us. And in turn, those three things bring God's glory. So before we get to Hebrews 10, I'm seeking to further understand what it is for us to be humbly unified as a church. I think there's one really important thing that we have to understand at a foundational level, which is we are made for relationships. Uh, when you consider the creation account in Genesis, Genesis 1, out of everything that God creates in the Garden of Eden, there is one thing that he deems not good. He looks at Adam his creation, and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. Relationships are so vitally important to God that even after the fall of man in Genesis 3, you know, God has to remove Adam and Eve from his presence because of their sin. But even at that, he still gives them, he pushes them out of the Garden of Eden with relationships. So think about that. Relationships as intimate as a marriage, all the way to what we're doing here this morning in the context of the local church, is a remnant of Eden. That is a beautiful thing. And we ought to cherish that truth. You know, consider for a moment that relationships are not some arbitrary thing that we just have to do. God knew immediately that isolation was a bad thing. He is a loving and caring father. He loves you deeply, so much so that he provides relationship for you. God knew it. I think we know it. That isolation leads to destruction in our lives. Proverbs 18.1 says, One who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound judgment. Think just real quickly of a couple examples from Scripture. David and Bathsheba. Judas separates himself from the disciples. Isolation 
can tend to lead us towards sinful nature because we leave ourselves exposed to Satan's deceit. And when I think about the church, when I see so many people, not just here, but just the church in general in America, people choose to opt out of church so freely, claiming to continue to love Jesus. But friends, it was never God's plan for it just to be you and Jesus. It's a sad time when those who want to be close to Jesus have given up on the church or at least just simply diminished it to an optional event on the weekend. There is this terrifying verse um, in 1 Timothy 1 where Paul is talking about two men who are, have rejected the faith. And Paul says, and the words he uses are this, he handed them over to Satan. By which he means he put them outside of the church. So rather than pretending that everything was fine, Paul removed them from the safety and the blessing of the fellowship of believers. And the reason he did that was that he hoped that the misery of being separated from the church would lead them towards repentance. Do you, you guys see the weight of this this morning? Paul equates removal from the church with being handed over to Satan. And it's crazy to me that we live in a time today where people are voluntarily doing this to themselves today. We've not placed them outside the fellowship. Instead, they've chosen other things as more important than being a part of the church. And in Paul's words, he says, man, they have given themselves over to Satan. Real love, real unity, and blessing were supposed to be found in the church. And the reality is many are having a hard time finding that. So they're setting off on their own. Jesus said that the world would see a supernatural unity and love within the church body that, would, that the, they, the people would believe in him because of it. People are choosing not to experience it or they're giving up on it or they simply maybe believe that it's not possible anymore. We are made for relationships. That has always been Jesus' plan for the church, the people. This is a family that we belong to, not an event we attend on the weekend. So let's open up our Bible to Hebrews 10, specifically verses 19 through 25. And as we've walked our way through Romans this year, We've overwhelmingly heard Paul beat this drum of justification, right? I mean, it's kind of crazy how much he beats it. Justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the culmination of that drumbeat in the last month was Romans 12. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I want us to hear the similarities between Hebrews this morning and the Romans text in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and consider what it means to be a humbly unified church. So let's read. Verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. 
he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who is promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the the more as you see the day approaching. The first thing is to be a humbly unified church. It requires humility. We never find unity without humility. And I was overwhelmed by this as as I read commentaries articles, books, in scripture, any mention of unity, you can almost always find the context or content of humility tied right to it. Humility requires sacrifice. And there's no greater example for us to consider than uh, than Jesus. Jesus modeled this for us in his sacrifice on the cross. And Paul explains that in in Philippians 2 when he says, adopt the same attitude of that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Understanding this sacrifice is critical to understanding the Hebrews text, especially verse 19. And it says, we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. Don't rush past that statement. You know, the Hebrews is written to the Jewish culture, which knows a lot about the tabernacle and the temple, right? The sanctuary refers to the most holy place in the tabernacle. No one could enter it except the high priest, and he could only go in it once a year under the strictest supervision. And if anyone else entered the most holy place, they dropped dead. Because of the humility and sacrifice of Christ on the cross, the truth of this word is that believers can enter the most holy place with confidence through the blood of Christ. We can now enter the very presence of God with confidence in Christ's work. God's people are to draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, verse 22. So who can draw near, or who can we draw near to? To the Father. And in what manner can we draw near to him? With a true heart in full assurance. We can now stand before God that's certain that our sins are forgiven by the virtue of faith in Jesus and his blood on the sacrifice on the cross. Doesn't this full assurance sound an awful lot like the justification Paul's been talking about? If Paul were the writer of Hebrews, he probably would have said something like, in the nature of this, we are justified by grace alone through faith alone because of the sacrifice, sacrificial work of Jesus alone. And he would finish with this, you can enter the presence of God without dying. Be fully assured of that. Humility requires sacrifice. And there's no greater example than Jesus. 
But I want to give you guys two practical ways for you and I to sacrifice today. First, we need to be in humble submission to the Word of God. We have to read this book over and over, seeking to understand it. And our first form of humility and sacrifice is willing to submit to what it says and what it calls us to do. Francis Chan wrote a book called Letters to the Church recently. It's an incredible book. I'd encourage you, if you want to read it, be challenged. But he makes the statement about our mode of operation as consumers in life. And consider this this morning. Consider his statement and how, hum- how we can humbly submit our own lives to the Word of God. Chan says, many of us make decisions based on what brings us the most pleasure. This is how we choose our homes, our jobs, our cars, our clothes, our food, and our churches. We pursue what we want, and then we make sure that there are no biblical commands we're violating. In essence, we want to know what God will tolerate rather than, than he desires. Maybe we're afraid, of, afraid to ask what will bring him the most pleasure, because honestly, ignorance feels better than disobedience. Scripture has to be our starting point, not desire or, tra- or tradition. Rather than thinking of what would we enjoy or asking what others would like, we ask a simple question. What would please God most? Over any other nuanced idea of what it means to be humbly unified, I pray that LCF is full of people that are willing to ask that question. What would please God most? And then we spend our lives searching this book, searching his word to answer the question to the best of our abilities. Amen? The second is that we need to be in humble submission to the we and not the me. Humble submission to the we of the body of Christ and not my own desires. Humility requires supernatural love and a willingness to put others before ourselves. And again, I think Tim and Joe's messages over the last month in Romans 12 have been excellent pointing us to that answer. But often, the personal level affects the collective body. And we have to recognize that. While humility is a gift, it does not just passively appear. God commands us to humble ourselves. And it is something that we pray for, but it's also something that we ought to strive for. I want to tell you a little bit of a story. Tell me a little bit about myself. I'm pretty competitive. Um, Maybe it's waned a little bit as I've gotten older. Maybe. Um, To give you an example... My wife and I don't play card games in our house. It's bad for our marriage. Um, But when my pride gets involved with my competitiveness, it churns up all kinds of bad stuff. All of a sudden, my desires overrule everything. And while I was in college, God really stretched me and helped me grow in this area. I want to tell you a little story. Many of you guys know that I played college football. Um... Probably most of you don't know that I never started a single game. And when I transferred to Bethel my sophomore year, the very first day of practice, my first interaction with this team, the defensive coordinator comes up to me and says, I want you 
to play defensive end because our star defensive end has a back injury and looks like he will be out for the entire season. And in my mind, I thought, chance to start. Great, sure, I'll do it. Rick Meyer is 6'5", 280 pounds. Let's just say I am not 6'5", 280 pounds. Um, but I went along with it. And so about six weeks of preseason work went into preparing myself to learn how to play defensive end, a position I never played before. And um, we get through preseason, and we're heading into the first week one, first game week, Monday morning, or Monday afternoon, out trots Rick Meyer in full gear, and he practices all week. And he plays the whole game. And I barely saw the field. Week two, same story. Week three, on Sunday, I went to my defensive coordinator and said, I'd like to move back to linebacker um, to earn my spot to play on the field. And he just flat out looked at me and said, nope. And in my pride, I don't, word for word, I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was something to the effect of, look, coach, I'm the best linebacker you have. I'm bigger, faster, stronger, and more instinctive than anybody else on the field. And he sat me down, and I'll never forget this. Uh, he said, Timmy, which every football coach I've ever had has called me Timmy. Um, he says, Timmy, you're right. But you know what? You're no more important than any other person on this team. He said, I want you to give your gifts away freely. He said, you are bigger, faster, stronger. And it's exactly why we're asking you to sacrifice. It gives us a far better chance to be competitive if Rick gets hurt. Everybody on this team has one responsibility, to give their gifts away freely. And so I sat behind Rick for the most of, almost all of my sophomore year, seeing the field very sparingly. But my junior and senior year, I saw the, the blessing of the mentality of give your gifts away freely, come full circle. You see, I never started a game. But what would happen is the first series would go by, they would be played, then the second series of the game, I'd go in and replace one of the linebackers to give him a breather. And the next series, I'd give the other linebacker a breather. And the third series, I'd give Rick a breather. And I never left the field after that, but I never was a starter. Humble submission to the we and not the me does require a supernatural love for others. It requires dying to ourselves and our preferences at times and to give our gifts away freely for the betterment of building up the church body. Think about it here. Small group leaders, small group hosts, Kids Point volunteers. If we're honest, there are days that those people would rather not. But they do. They give those gifts away freely. The second thing is to be humble unified church is it requires unity. And I'll be honest with you, talking about unity has made, kept me up at night. It's made me nervous. Um, specifically when I mentioned earlier, like 30, 33 to 30, 41,000 different denominations. There is all kinds of reasons why unity is difficult to achieve. All the different theological opinions and debates that exist but a couple warnings have to be made about the importance of seeking unity within a church body. I want to make a couple things clear first. Is that 
When I say church unity, I am not talking about church uniformity. I think the very analogy of being members of one body with many parts implies that all members do not look the same and serve the same function. The beauty of the body is that it functions as one, although it consists of many members. And I think the second thing I want to make sure is clear is we can be unified in the wrong things as equally easily as we can be in the right things. I'm sure I don't need to spend much time giving examples of how churches can be unified over heretical teaching. But I'll give you one example that I remember from college. Um, John Piper was talking about the church that he grew up in South Carolina and how his church body was unified over their decision to keep black people from coming to their church. And that just rattles me to my soul to think that churches can get so misled by culture and the world around us to make a decision to be humbly unified about that. So hear me say, as a church, a devoted follower of Jesus at LCF who is humbly unified, we are humbly unified in our submission to the word of God. And we are submitted to the we to each other in all of its diversity so that our unity is pure and not influenced by the world. This is a family that we belong to, not an event that we attend on the weekends. If you look at Hebrews 10, 23 and 25, 23 through 25, sorry, and how it encourages our unity. I'm gonna read it again. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without without uh, wavering, since he who promised is faithful, and let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as we see the day approaching. How does this family actively encourage unity? He gives us three ways in that text, past, present, and future. He says, the church, we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness to the past promises in Christ. And presently, we bring assurance to one another to call, to watch out for one another in the fellowship. In the future, we bring accountability to each other for the anticipation of Christ's return. Our church family reminds us to hold on to the confession of our hope. We gather around one another. We preserve with each other because he who promises is faithful. The whole congregation's life together is pointed to the end of corporate edification. In the New Testament, the people of God are the church. That local congregation, the fellowship as a whole, displays the holiness of God through their holiness. That congregation displays God's love through their supernatural love for each other. In the same way, it displays God's unity and their unity for one, with one another. We cannot have confidence and full assurance of our faith apart from the church. That sounds like a strong statement, but nowhere in the New Testament do you ever see the text pointing us to be able to, be able to do this on our own. We simply cannot endure in isolation each Christian desperately needs a body of believers for encouragement to obtain the assurance. We need to continually remind ourselves and each other that God is faithful, and we need to continually push each other to advance the kingdom outside of these walls.
So what makes our unity at LCF? I just want to give you four quick practical ways. Um, the first is the source, which is the gospel. I think the single most important place for us to be unified is in the word of God. The message of the gospel, the good news that Jesus died on a cross and he raised three days later in victory. For, he died for our sins and found victory three days later in it over that sin. He who brings assurance of our justification that we are unified in it, that it is in grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You know, I think we need to be unified that we believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. It's an inerrant in its original form and infallible as the standard of life. When interpreted in context and according to the purpose, the word of God gives life to those who are willing to be obedient to its message. The second thing is vision. I think we need to be unified in the vision to build devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 12 and 13 that pastors and teachers are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But look at the result. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The unity that we pursue is unity in truth. And Christian unity can include far more than that, but it cannot include anything less. Count the cost of disunity here. When relationships break down and disagreements happen and dissension inevitably follows. The very, and every, every, every disagreement that Christians have in the church is a triumph for Satan. If we descend into disunity, we hand Satan victory. And so the reason we need to be unified in vision the reason we need to be laser-focused on building devoted followers of Christ is that we don't give any room for Satan. The third thing is love. Over the course of the last month, we've talked multiple times about a supernatural love that should exist within the church, a unifying love to Christ includes a rugged commitment to it. You know, Paul talks about this in Galatians 6 which he says, hey, do good and work for the good of the family of God. As difficult as it is in a large church with all the diversity and personalities, the experience of Christian unity is more than just a commitment to do good. It includes an affectionate love for one another. It's a feeling of endearment to this church body. You know, consider Romans 12, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Peter says it in 1 Peter 1, since you have purified yourselves by obedience to the truth so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another sincerely. The fourth is desires. I mentioned this at the beginning. You know, our, we have three desires as we seek to build the vote of followers of Jesus Christ, that we worship God, that we build up, encourage, and edify the church body here and that we evangelize the world around us. And in turn, those three things bring glory to, the, glory to God. Those are our desires. And the ultimate aim of those desires and Christian, the ultimate aim of Christian unity is the glory of God. So what I want to do as we close um, is I want to try to challenge us 
uh, and encourage us in three areas of, of what a humble, unified church is. And what I want to do that is similar to what Tim did um, when he taught a few weeks back, the contrasting list that Tim challenged us with of what it means to truly be transformed. Do you guys remember this message? It's kind of a hard one to forget. If you haven't, if you look at that, go, I don't recognize that. Go back and listen to um, the message. I think it's conformed or transformed. Um, Tim warned us that worldly conformity is deceiving. He challenged us to consider how we dress up worldly conformity in Christian clothing and call it transformation. He challenged us to consider what real life transformation looks like. And so I want to do the same here. I want, to, I want us to consider where have we allowed worldly conformity dressed up in church clothes to fool us that we are being transformed as a humbly unified church. I want us to look at specifically in contrast what it is not to what it is. So here we go. A humble unified church is not self-serving. It is devoted. It is devoted. It is a devoted community to God's glory. Worldly conformity dressed up in church clothes has created a culture of church hopping in America today. Because it's become normative for our preferences of what a church can do for us to far outweigh what it means to be the church body. Devotion to being the church to one another should always outweigh our preferences. Church is not supposed to be some buffet where you get to pick and choose the best things that you like. Today, people hop from church to church because the worship music or the worship experience is better here than there. The preacher tells better stories over there than here. With that preaching style, he teaches too much Bible and not enough life application. All those things are good. But when it becomes about our preference rather than actually commitment to the body of Christ, then, then we get out of whack. The idea that church should be the perfect fit of our preferences is something that culture drives. And it's nothing more than worldly conformity dressed up in church clothes. It's easy to church hop and move around when the church is not important to you. When, when I say the church, I mean the people. The thought of, it's just me and my relationship with Jesus. Friends, that's not found anywhere in Scripture. The church, the early church in the book of Acts, devoted themselves to four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. With our preferences at the helm of being unified with a church, we want to experience biblical awe without being devoted to it. Francis Chan says, at the core of our dysfunction is not necessarily a style or structure of a church, but it's a lack of devotion. Paul calls us to devotion. I mean, pick any Pauline epistle and you're going to find it in there. I picked Ephesians 4 just as an example, but Paul in all of his letters calls us to that devotion. In Ephesians 4, he says, I urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with peace, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. 
The second area, the humble, a humble unified church is not deceitful, it's authentic. Tim's message a couple weeks ago challenged us in the idea of image maintenance versus genuine vulnerability. And the same is true here. Image maintenance, working hard to control the perception of what people think of us rather than being genuinely vulnerable. Genuine vulnerability rings true in a humble unified church as well. Friends, don't deceive the very people here who love you and want to surround you and encourage you and support you and pray for you. So when someone comes up to you and says, how are you doing? Will you let them in? Don't just say, I'm fine, I'm good, when the reality is the world around you is crashing. Let the church be the church and surround you and pray for you and support you and encourage you. Authenticity and vulnerability are spaces in which supernatural love can be experienced and the Holy Spirit can work mightily. I want to take a moment and pause here for a second um, to truly shepherd. Um, it's one of our callings as pastors. And, and friends, please hear me when I say this. Hear my heart in this. Um, if you are struggling with this church, with this fellowship in particular, to the point where you're considering leaving, friends, don't leave in silence. Don't leave in silence. That action is the complete opposite of unity. For every person who calls this church home, I want you to know how we view you. We hold you with an open hand. We understand that God can move and, and maybe call you to a different place, to a different church body. Um, we get that. Uh, but don't, don't rob us of the opportunity to allow us to shepherd you through that decision. Don't come to us after the decision's been made and just say, hey, we're leaving. Allow us to wrestle through whatever you're going through with you. Because here's, here's the thing. You're not going to hurt our feelings. I mean, you're not. Just trust me in that. And we want to hear and know where our people are struggling. At the end of the day, our, the ultimate aim of this church and its leadership is to see people become devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And we understand that the Lord might do that work somewhere else. But I also want to challenge you is that that conversation, the very conversation that you're considering avoiding could be the very thing that God is wanting to use to break through in your life. Maybe he wants to launch you into something deeper here, but we just need to wrestle through that together. That's what the church body does. And if it's not here, we want to help you find the right place. The last thing is a humble unified church is not optional. It's compelling. We know that isolation leads to nowhere good. I don't think we have to spend more time there. We know we're called to community. We're called into fellowship. But there is a cultural thing that I see happening all the time here in the Northland. When we talk about making a living sacrifice in Romans 12 and getting our stuff up on the altar the last thing I see families do typically 
the last thing they put on the altar is their home. We make so much effort to give our kids a world of opportunities. But if we have not put our home, our family on the altar to be transformed, what are we doing? When we sacrifice church for games or events, what are we communicating to our kids? How are we leading them? We are embracing worldly conformity and we're literally putting church clothes on them when we actually get here. If we're willing to sacrifice church to stay home and get some rest, what are we really sacrificing? There's a quote from Albert Moeller that I want to share with you, and it's a commentary about Hebrews 10. Uh, verses 24 and 25, and the worship team can come on up. He says, Christians must not neglect gathering together for corporate worship and for times of prayer and encouragement. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, the words, the, there are strong words of judgment against those who are in, in the habit of neglecting other believers. Those who neglect assembling together cut themselves off from the very means by, whereby Christ feeds assures and protects his people. To say, I can do this alone, is to defy the very commands of Christ. Some may claim that they can hear better preaching on the internet or that they are too busy to attend church, but these excuses the reality of a disobedient heart. Instead of searching for an excuse, Christians should be doing everything within their power to meet together not only because they need to be fed by the preaching of God's word, but also because it is part of the faith to stir each other up to love and good works. To stir one another to love and good works is to be a compelling church. We ought to long to be together. We ought to long to know and experience the supernatural love that can exist within the church. And we should be burdened to call others into it, to call others into a relationship with Christ or fellow believers into a body of Christ. If you've got a desire or questions about what it is to have a relationship with Christ, I want to pray with you back there during worship. If you are feeling stirred or called out into a deeper relationship with the church family, we'll be back there to pray with you. Let's take some time and reflect and worship our God.